0: This is a reading of a collection of lectures by Rudolf Steiner, How the Spiritual World Projects into Physical Existence the Influence of the Dead, Collected Works, Volume 150. This is Lecture 3, given in Weimar on the 13th of April, 1913. When we consider that here in the physical world, we get to know this physical world, we will of course always realize that primarily we live in this world through our physical senses our intellect. We do, however, also live in this physical world thanks to our inner life. The thoughts that come up in us remain in our memory as the things we remember. We live in this world thanks to our feelings and will impulses. It is perfectly understandable that for someone who has not yet considered spiritual scientific issues more deeply, it must seem quite improbable that there is also supposed to be a way of living that is completely different from that in the physical world. It is clear, after all, that initially human beings know the world only through their thinking, feeling and willing. But thanks to something we call initiation, there is a very different way of living in the world, one that goes beyond the physical world. Basically, it is the same kind of life as when someone goes through the gate of death, entering into the time that lies between death and rebirth. Now we have to say that in most instances, the human being wishing to form an idea, whilst here in his physical body, of the life between death and rebirth, will inwardly be overcome by a certain fear of the great void. Let us be clear in our minds that this fear is quite natural. Just try and think yourself in a position where you would have walked rather fast and come upon a deep abyss this would offer you nothing but a dim feeling a sense that you simply cannot know what might happen the moment you took another step this feeling can only come when the person has run so fast that he can no longer stop himself he says to himself quote you have to take the next step Close quote the undefined nature of the fear lives in him and this feeling could only be compared with a feeling which is always there in the soul but we are not aware of it because our attention is focused on the physical world. This feeling says to us, What will happen to you when you leave everything that you are used to? A person only has to reflect that such a thing may subconsciously live in him. And it does indeed live there. Something we may put in words as You cannot see or hear, for the instruments serving these activities have been taken away nor are you able to think, We have no clear sense of these feelings, but they are there in the soul, and the human being numbs himself in a way and so skips over these feelings. As soon as it arises, something else is called to mind so that the feeling cannot come to conscious awareness. But this is not the right way to prepare ourselves. We will not be able to lift the veil that lies behind death, Let us learn today how this life of ours relates to life after death. We do quite rightly say that we perceive the physical world through the senses. Speaking of the senses, people are really only speaking of those that are of use in the physical world. They can only be used in the physical world because they are bound to the instruments that will be taken from us when we die. People always list only the five senses, sight, hearing, smell, taste and touch. None of these will serve when we have left the physical body behind. To make the transition we must include all human senses. People go wrong in the way they list the senses because they forget to include themselves. They are part of the physical world themselves and would not be able to perceive themselves in this world unless they had the senses for doing so. To begin with, it is only a small number of senses by which they perceive themselves, the sense of balance, the sense of movement, and the sense of life. These are just as important as the other outer senses. What is the sense of life? You can get an idea of this if you consider the difference between hunger and satiety. If human beings did not grasp themselves inwardly, they would know nothing of their own bodily nature of well-being or not being well. We must speak of the sense of life, just as we do of the sense of sight. But there is also another sense we must consider. It would be quite impossible for human beings to be aware of themselves if they were not aware of the activity in muscles and sinews. This is perception of inner mobility. It is a little obscured for us because we see ourselves with our physical eyes in the physical world. We get the right feeling of that inner perception when we move in the dark. Perception of the breathing process, for instance, will then be more easily clear to us. The sense of balance, as we call it, is something we really need. When children learn to walk and stand, you can see how they gradually feel their way into this sense. We have to get used to getting a sense of walking erect. This sense even has an organ consisting of the three semicircular canals in the ear. They are at right angles to one another. People fall over when these are damaged, and the absence of a sense of balance means that the individual's inner sense of orientation has been damaged. Moving on, we find yet other senses that can give us a kind of self-perception, but it is getting more difficult. Here we must start with something that points to a state of consciousness which is no longer quite normal. It occurs in some dreams. The following dream may come to conscious awareness. Someone is seething with anger. The choir master has come. The dream goes into every detail and may turn into a long story. Then it changes. There's the noise of passing vehicles. The firefighters are passing. Outwardly nothing happened but the shout, fire. The word does sound similar to choir, and that sound evokes in the soul the transition from the actually heard fire, which in turn gives rise to the sum of vexing ideas in the dream. The dream moves at a terrific pace. One thinks of the individual events in linear time, and because of this the dream seems to be long. You see from this the great significance of sound in the soul body, especially when it gets mixed up with ideas, when words come into it. Continuing our study of the soul, we find that something quite different is really happening. People do not notice these things when in deep sleep. Something would also have happened if there had not been the shout fire but now the shout covers something up and evokes the word choir. A fine veil is spun from the echoes of that word. During the day the veil is terribly thick, but the subtle ideas in the soul run alongside the daytime ideas. It is just that no note is taken of them. In a dream vision like this we are getting just a wisp of the world's events as they present themselves to the soul. We have deliberately chosen this example because hearing, the way it is for present-day humanity, is the sense closest to the supersensible senses. We are right on the border of the supersensible world. And if we were able to cast off the two words, we would be able to know the actual experiences in the soul. The example clearly shows how human beings relate to the spiritual world but the two words are holding them back. It truly is the case that by far the greater majority of our dreams are spun from the echoes in our hearing, for an inner sense lies between hearing and thinking, a sense that has completely atrophied where modern life is concerned. It becomes active as we learn to live in the spiritual world. It lives between hearing and thinking, and comes to conscious awareness when we are able to hear things that are inaudible. When a sense has been awakened for rhythmic, melodious harmony, readers aside, there is a gap in the text here, end of readers aside. When we do not get through to a sense that has significance only for the physical world, we are faced with a sense of the supersensible world. In the physical world, this sense is divided into the sense of hearing and the sense of forming ideas. Echoes of it rise when we arrive at a form of self-awareness. Those echoes are best when we try to develop sentience for what lives in the echoes of music and poetry. The better way, however, is to get to this from the other side. This sense has atrophied in outer physical life. From there it continues to where we say today, The human being gains an idea of the capital I. We have to be honest when it comes to this idea of the I. People say I, and doing so gives them a certain degree of inner certainty. They believe, rightly, that in saying I, they take hold of the I. That is rightly so. It is a kind of preparing oneself to take hold of the true higher I. There is a major problem with this taking hold. If it were not, there would not be all that philosophical endeavor to fathom it. In my title, Philosophy of Spiritual Activity, I endeavored to show how it may be fathomed. All of this is part of self-perception. You have to grasp inwardly what makes one address oneself as I. Let me read that again. You have to grasp inwardly what makes one address oneself as I. We thus have senses for grasping the outside world and others by which we grasp ourself when we hear the soundless sound. The familiar five senses are specifically developed here in the physical world. They are of no significance for the initiate in the spiritual world. The other senses, by which human beings gain self-perception, have atrophied. These are of great significance for human beings when they go through the gate of death. The first thing human beings need on the other side is the sense that makes the transition from external to inner musicality. The presence of the external instrument of hearing does not impede this sense. Today the ear has merely bludgeoned the sense to death. In the physical world, We can perceive the power of the sense when musicians compose. The sense is then present behind the creative work. After death it becomes a sense through which human beings are directed toward their surroundings. We then live with music inwardly. After death the sense becomes an outer sense and for a time after death we perceive what passes through the world for the world is filled with rhythmic musical harmonies. Someone who did not perceive this rhythmic musical harmony would be like someone in the physical world who cannot perceive the inorganic. In my book titled Theosophy, you will find under the description of Devakan how life on the other side consists in the spreading of musical rhythmic harmonies. In fact, the in front and the at the back connect with the above and below. Whereas, let me read that again, in fact, the in front and the at the back connect with the above and below, whereas we merely know, thanks to our senses, sense of balance, that we are upright as we walk. We then perceive the spirits that are above and below to right and left. The inner senses, which are now atrophied, thus spread out and convey the world of the spirit to us then the sense of balance changes into the sense of harmony and rhythm, then the sense of movement connects. When we are free of all muscles and sinews, the sense which otherwise is concentrated by the body will spread out, and we arrive at the possibility of being everywhere in the universe the way we are now in our own body, thanks to the sense of movement. In the spiritual world, the outside world, is like the way in which a muscular movement happens in the physical world. When a hand is put out to a child, the child understands this and copies the movement. The sense of movement awakens in the inward experience of the copied movement. As time goes on, one is thoroughly cured of some theories that persistently have the problem of saying, we do live within us, close quote, but there is no blood circulation in the supersensible world. The inner sense of movement will be particularly important when we have died. The sense of life grows important for us, unless it can be applied in an unpleasant way, because we won't have headaches anymore nor feel hungry. The senses which are atrophied here will be very much stimulated when we go through the gate of death. We are unable to perceive our own bodily nature with our own bodily nature. The eye cannot see itself, and the brain cannot examine itself. An organ which perceives something therefore cannot be one that perceives itself. The sense of life, as we called it, needs to be separated out from our bodily nature, and thus comes close to the soul principle. With the sense of balance, it is not that it conveys the process of perception. It merely expresses itself symbolically in it. These senses are really egotistical by nature, for human beings perceive their self through them. And we must not ignore the fact that we also take the egotistical part of us with us on departing this life. Initially we, therefore, retain the more egotistical part and this explains why human beings enter into a rather egotistical state immediately after death. Just as children bring their senses with them into physical existence and must first get used to the physical world perceived through the senses, so human beings who have left their bodies must get their senses used to the supersensible world. That takes quite a long time after death. And whilst they are getting their senses into the habit, they are initially left only with whatever brought them together with the outside world, in the physical world, as a memory. And this is the less pleasant part of the memory. The first recall takes only a few days, presenting as a memory tableau, as we know. Then it begins to change so that anything which here is their inmost part connects in an inward way and the individual gets used inwardly to entering into everything he has lived through, for the possibility of sensory perception does, of course, come to an end. A concrete example. We had some form of life partnership with another person. We die. He stays behind on the physical plane. We get more and more used to holding back something other than memory from the inner part of us. When we look at a dead person, we see that he knows what we have shared with him during life on earth. Death cuts the thread, and now the devastating perception may be made that one meets dead people who tell one, using the means of communication, I lived with this or that person. I know that he lives on, but I only know about him up to my death. That means great pain. The dead individual now misses the living one. Because of this, the dead are mainly lamenting those whom they loved and whom they now cannot reach. It needs to be made known that this is where we can do a great service to the dead by meeting them halfway. The external senses have been taken from the dead. All that lives in them now is what they experienced together with us. Yes, ordinary life really has nothing to offer that might make a difference. The situation can only be changed if bonds are created between the dead and the living. For someone who is dead, it usually is as if we were looking up to them. Readers aside, there is a gap in the text. End of readers aside. But there is a common bond between the dead and the living, and that is our thinking of supersensible thoughts. Spiritual thinking is this common bond. Let me stress that we can read to the dead about supersensible worlds. When we have time to sit down and, in our thoughts, go through the subject matter of occult science, imagining in the liveliest possible way that the dead are with us, this removes the torment for them of thinking we are not there. We have got really good results with this in the anthroposophical movement by reading to the dead in our thoughts. They are then together with us, And this is what they need, what they long for. There are two things connected with living with the dead. The first is what has just been said, that they miss the people they lived with on earth. We can help them here by reading to them. We need to be together with the dead and bridge the existing conditions. Now, what does it mean to the dead when we read Anthroposophy to them, though they did not know... Excuse me. though they did not want to know about it in life. People often say this, but that is a materialistic objection, for conditions do not stay the same. It may be the case, for instance, that there are two brothers. One is inclined toward spiritual science, but the other gets more and more angry about it. He talks himself into an ever greater rage. But he is only doing this because he wants to blank out his inner longing for spiritual science. You cannot easily get through to him in life, and it is not a good thing to agitate in favor of anthroposophy in death. The things people have longed for most will be the most evident will be most evident, and we can do the best possible thing for these very souls if we read to them. Someone who has been interested in anthroposophy in this life will of course continue to be interested in it on the other side. This is the one thing. The other thing we have to consider, especially at the present time, is that when we enter into the supersensible world every day in our sleep, we are in the same world as the dead. We just don't know about it anymore after waking up. How do most people go to sleep? We may say that when they have crossed the threshold to sleep, not much of what they have taken with them is spiritual. People who have taken alcoholic drinks to help them sleep will not bring much with them that is spiritual. But there are many nuances to this. We often hear, quote, Well, what is the good of learning spiritual science when one will still not be able to look into the spiritual worlds? Close quote. Well, you need only give enough attention to it, and you will also take some of it with you into sleep. Think of a sleeping city, sleeping people, their souls free of the body. Sleeping souls are something different to the spiritual world than they are to the physical world. It is something similar for the dead. The things we give to the dead, things they take into their conscious awareness, are exactly what they need for their life. And when we bring spiritual thoughts to them, they have nourishment. If we don't, they will be hungry. So that we may say, quote, By cultivating spiritual thoughts here on earth, we, can provide nourishment for the dead. We can let them go hungry if we do not bring spiritual thoughts to them. When fields lie fallow, they produce no crops to feed humanity, and people may die of starvation. The dead cannot die of starvation, of course. All they can do is suffer when spiritual life lies fallow on earth. The point is that here on earth science follows various laws about particular situations, and one ideal is that life as such can be understood with the help of science. But we do not get to know life here on the physical plane. All the laws do relate to living things, but in spite of all that knowledge we cannot fathom life. When it comes to the supersensible world, all scientific studies cannot get to know death. For someone who is able to see through things, it is nonsense to believe that there is such a thing as death in the supersensible world. There are sleep-like states of consciousness, and also a longing for death, just as we would wish to understand life, but there is no death there. We should not think that we might perish in the spiritual world, and we also cannot die there, nor can we destroy our conscious awareness there something which corresponds to dying in this world here. But one can grow isolated in the spiritual world. It is a matter of not being able to perceive the physical world perceived through the senses. One knows only of oneself and nothing of others. This is known as the pain and suffering of Kamaloka. The conscious awareness of human beings is broadened out by the sociable life after death. And we also enter into sociability with the different spirits in the supersensible world. One objection that may also be raised will be resolved in Erfurt this evening. It is this quote, How come the dead are in the supersensible world? Are they able to learn something when we read to them about the supersensible worlds? Close quote. They cannot learn about things in the supersensible world unless we give them to them from our earth. The thoughts must stream up from the earth. Human beings are on earth to get to know not just a veil of tears, but also anthroposophy. People often think that one can also get to know anthroposophy after death, but that is quite wrong. Having gone through the gate of death, human beings put away the things they have learned on earth. The end of Lecture 3.